appreciate you uh, taking time to come. I'm glad you're here at the beginning uh, as we uh, are going to be uh, looking at this subject that kind of just kind of came along. Uh, uh, sometimes you get inspired by what's happening and uh, uh, if you're a Christian and uh, you're a Bible reader, you understand that there are many things that happen, particularly in the Middle East and with the nation of Israel, that have meaning uh, today. And uh, the recent um, uh, conflict that just arose last month between Israel and Palestine that once again captured the headlines kind of brought back a reminder to us, okay, what does the Bible say about this as we watched, we paid attention, uh, the possibility that was happening there could very quickly turn into a much wider conflict and remind the world of these ancient uh, 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 battles that uh, are still not resolved. And if you read the Bible, are not going to be resolved until the very end. And so um, uh, we're I going to turn we to Genesis chapter as our foundation, and this is not going to be a long study. I imagine it only take a few weeks. I really want to turn the corner. I have a Sunday school I'm going to do as we the final weeks before we move into our new building. But this arose, and talking with uh, our staff, you know, uh, they kind of encouraged me that this would probably be a worthy uh, Sunday school. And the, one of the reasons why is that a lot of people. They kind of know some things about Bible prophecy in Israel, but, but, but it's still kind of hazy to them. It's kind of vague. It's like, okay, why does this matter? Who are the Palestinians? Why does this conflict keep coming up? What prophetic role do they play? What does the Bible say about these things? And, and so uh, our aim in this Sunday school is to just kind of give you uh, a, a clear reference points and, and uh, uh, establish uh, what the Bible says going backwards to look at Israel and its origins. Who is the state of Israel? Who, are, who is the nation of Israel? And realize that the things that are happening today are rooted in the things that happened in the Bible originally, way back going to the book of Genesis. How did the nation of Israel, as we know it today, come to be? And what relationship do they bear to those original uh, uh, Jews and Abraham's family. And then, of course, the big question is, what's the future? What does the Bible say the future will be? It's past, it's present, and it's future. Now, about 14 years ago, I did a Sunday school on the nation of Israel, uh, and it went on for, I don't remember how long, but many weeks, and it was exhaustive. I'm not doing that this time. We're going to try to move through this and try to cover uh, a lot of ground. I want to go on record and say that I don't think I'll be able to announce who the Antichrist is by the end of this Sunday school, uh, if that's what you're looking for. Uh, but I, I, what I do believe is that there's a sound doctrinal uh, 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 presentation from the Bible as to what happened in Israel, what's, what's happening today. And so uh, I want to encourage you to be here for this. Uh, we have an excellent video we're going to show as part of this Sunday School because the reason we're doing this is the propaganda that's out there that is totally misrepresenting the situation. And today, uh, it caught my eye uh, two or three weeks ago in the middle of this conflict driving uh, down 
uh, the street headed towards my house and I got behind a vehicle that uh, had a bumper sticker, Liberate Palestine. Now this would have been uh, still during the conflict. And uh, 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 it, it, you know, it, it began uh, in early May. And so two weeks down the road and I sat here, I've been driving around this city for 33 years and I've never seen a Liberate Palestine freshly minted bumper sticker and I saw that and then I began to listen how uh, the, the term that it well this is apartheid this is apartheid Israel is a par an apartheid state such as South Africa and the way they treated the black people and the colored people of South Africa and uh, and uh, this is an apartheid state or another thing is that this is colonization and that uh, the Palestinians are akin to the American Indians uh, and when uh, Columbus arrived in 1492 and Europeans colonized America and stole the land, that what we're looking at is a modern day colonization that these people were living uh, in harmony with nature and uh, the Israelites came in and have stolen, the, so, so you see all this. You see the political activism that was happening in our country a year ago, now taking those same arguments now and placing them on the state of Israel. And so what is this really about? And so we're gonna try to answer some of those questions and I hope you have your Bible. I have a lot of Bible. In fact, in a study like this, if we don't have a lot of Bible, we're gonna get ourselves in trouble because I wanna, this isn't political. This is biblical, but sometimes the biblical runs up against the politics of the age. And so the first thing we're going to do uh, is get a little video. Do you have that ready? I trust you guys are set up here, uh, our tech masters. And so go ahead and put, show that little clip. This is just a little trailer. Let me know if we, we need to move on. Keep going. Okay, we're not ready. It's a great video, folks. You ought to see it sometime. Okay, uh, do you have the picture there? I gave you a picture. Maybe we can look at that here really quickly. Uh, we, got any of our, we got any of our stuff or did the computer decide to crash? Okay, you can, we're not ready for that yet? Okay. Uh, now that's half, okay, there it is. So, so I, I, I wanted to just show you this. Again, we're gonna get into this later. Long live the Intifada. You know where that is? That's not Gaza City, that's not, uh, that's not Jerusalem, that is not Tel Aviv, that's Brooklyn. Here in our city in San Antonio, a couple weeks ago, I got a, a picture uh, sent to me from Vaughn Martinez and he was downtown and they were having a pro-Palestinian rally here in San Antonio, marching through the streets. And, and so 
this has come to America. This is not, if you think this is just something far away over there and unreal, it has everything to do with us. And so we want to uh, uh, look at that this morning. Gilbert, you're going to be our reader, and I want you to read uh, uh, Genesis chapter 12. And I'm going to give out some scriptures right now. And, uh, and uh, if I call on you, have them ready to go, because we have so much to try to do. I'm, I'm going to try to get from Abraham to Jesus in this one Sunday school right here. And that's a long, that's, that's, that's a long ways. It's about uh, uh, 2,500 years. And so uh, I need you to have these verses read. If you want to read, I need Genesis 11, 26 through 30. The world, it was called the Tower of Babel. They were there at the plains of Shinar, which would be in modern day Iraq. And they decided that they were going to uh, try to unite the world with the belief that if we all put our minds to it, we can erect a tower to reach unto heaven. This was an effort that through human organization and through unity, we can come together and we can accomplish something. And God looked at that and saw that as a threat. He saw that as a threat to his power and his dominion and that man would come to a place where they thought if we bring our all of the God-given genius together, but exclude God, that we can accomplish something. And we know that God came down and he forbade that, and he uh, confused human language. Uh, men uh, were separated uh, to the earth, uh, and he frustrated their efforts to unify. Again, remember that. That's Genesis 11. That would happen again. It's going to happen in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is simply revisiting Babylon and the plains of Shinar. Shinar. And I want to tell you, even in our world today, there are not so, a lot of people who believe that through human genius, we can create a perfect society without God. Okay, the, 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 the song by John Lennon, Imagine, even though I don't think he understood it, is articulating that very thing. We can have a wonderful society apart from God. God said, I'm not gonna let that happen. And so he said, the way, the answer is not through human genius, human organization, it's through a man. And so he finds Abraham and says, I'm going to do this through a man, through a family. God works through family. He doesn't work through human organization. The answer of the world is not the Optimist Club or the Elks Club or the PTA or the Little League. It's God working through family. So he raises up Abraham and he's going to do something very, very powerful and it begins with one man, Genesis 11, 26 through 32. Now Terah lived 70 years and begat uh, Abram, Naor, and, and Haran. This is, this is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Naor, and Haran. Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in, the native, in his native land in Ur of the, of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Naor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Naor's wife, Milcom, the daughters of Haran, the father of Milcom, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son, uh, his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur to the Chaldeans uh, to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So this they, is... 
Yeah, okay, this is the first mention of Abraham in the Bible. Again, he is called Abram. And uh, to understand the, the origins of the nation of Israel, you have to remember it's about fathers. It's about fathers. You want to talk about patriarchy, you talk about the nation of Israel. To understand it, it is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Those are the main characters. The book of Genesis, once Abraham is introduced to us right here in this text, it's the story of those four men primarily and their lives. And this is God's plan that through these men, he was going to raise up and shape a nation for his purposes. Genesis 12 through 50. All of this is essentially about these four men. Let's understand this. First of all, Abraham was given a promise. Genesis 12, 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he will build an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Okay, to your descendants I will give this land. Remember in verse, uh, chapters, verse 1 through 3, he said, I'm going to take you to a land. He arrives there. To your descendants I'm going to give this land. Genesis 13, 14 through 17. said to Abram after Lot had separated from him lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are northward southward eastward westward for all the land that you see I give to you and your descendants forever and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth then your descendants could be numbered arise walk in the land through its length and its width for I give it to you so here again third time I want you to walk around. This is when Abraham and his nephew Lot separated. He told Lot, you can go the direction you want. And we know that Lot headed towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And after Lot left, God said, I want you to look around. And I want you to, everything that you can see, I have given to you. I want you to walk the length and the breadth of it. I have given it to you. Interesting little side note. Lot. Abraham said, you can pick where you want to go. And Lot saw the plains of the Jordan River at that time, which was where a lot of, you know, in some Gomorrah back then, it would have been very fertile land. That's why he chose it. Today, it's ruinous because after, after um, the judgment that came on it, it's become what we now call the Dead Sea. But by, at that time, it was, it was extremely valuable land and Lot chose it. But it didn't matter what Lot chose. As soon as he walked away, God said, I give it all of it to you. It belongs to you. This transcends human choice. This is, I've given this to you. And God gave this land to Abraham. Genesis 23, verse 10 through 18. It's a long verse, but it really kind of helps you to understand the dynamics that are here. Now Ephron dwelt among the uh, Heath, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heath, and all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, if you will please give it, hear me, I will give you money for the field, 
Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heath. 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which was in... Uh, Machpelah. Machpelah, which was before uh, Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heath before all who went in at the gate of the, his city. Now, here is the story. What's happened is Sarah has died, and Abraham wants to bury her in a cave, what is known as the cave of Machpelah. And so uh, he's a very sympathetic figure. He, by this point, Abraham is a beloved man. He's a man of incredible influence. And he's at what we would today know as modern day Hebron. And uh, he wants this cave. And so the man who, the men who are the owners of that cave uh, say, listen, you know, your wife has died. We get it. We appreciate you. We love you. We want to give you this cave. And Abraham says, no, I, I'll buy it. No, no, don't buy it. You don't have to buy it. We want to give it to you. And he goes on to mention the price, you know, 400 uh, uh, shekels of silver. He, he, he says that to Abraham and he goes, look, that's not what, what's that between me and you? Now, I know that you've met people that, no, go ahead, go ahead, bro. You know, it's worth $450, bro, but it's okay. And they manage to give a price, pump the, you know, but I, I, whatever their motivations, what is interesting is Abraham says, no, I'm going to buy it. And then the Bible describes, put back the previous panel at how Abraham uh, did that. Uh, the Bible says uh, uh, that he did this before everybody. He did it. He had witnesses. The Bible says he created a title deed. He purchased it because Abraham knows that down the road, there are going to be problems. Now, taking a step back. Before that, you know, God said, everywhere you go, I'm going to give you. This is all mine. But in this moment, Abraham doesn't assert that. He just says, I'll buy it from you. And, and so there's this story of this description of this, uh, of going to this title. Anybody ever bought a house? And you have to go to the title company and you have to sign. There are all these documents and everything is made sure of and, 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 and it's all done. I mean, we're going way back in the Bible and here we are, them signing paperwork, making sure everything's done. And here's the crazy thing. Today, you go to Hebron to try to see the cave of Machpelah and you wouldn't be able to get in because it's controlled completely by Palestinians. I was in Israel 1997, it was my second trip there, and uh, it was, we were still a very small time, the entire team was one bus, and I remember we were in the uh, uh, hotel, and we were with Pastor Mitchell, we were working on some sermons, and I started asking him about Hebron, and there were some things in the media at that time about it, and I, I would say, man, I was really hoping we could go to Hebron, and he says, Richard, you can't even get close to it, there's riots going on. And it's not safe for us to take the team. And I was like, okay. And then it's like he got a twinkle in his eye. He goes, but you know what? If you want to get a cab, me, you can go there right now. <laughs> so 
Okay, Pastor Mitchell, it's all right, I believe you. And, uh, but, but what I'm saying to you is they signed the paperwork, title deed, everybody saw it, we're good, doesn't mean anything. They say it's ours. And we will not let you even get in there. And so Abraham is already looking way down the road. And he understands that this land that exists, that God is giving me, there's going to be a fight for it. God gave Israel title deed. That's biblical. Next time somebody wants to tell you about, you know, colonization and everything else, you say, wait a minute, no, 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 let's go way back. God gave them title deed to this land I will give you. Is he put them there. Now, the problem is we get a few wrinkles in the story. Abraham's impatience, Genesis 16, three through five. Then Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. And after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, so he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. And I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. And the Lord judged between you and me. So we all know Abraham and Sarah waiting for a promised child because he said, I give this land to your descendants. There are no descendants. They get impatient. Sarah comes to believe that it's impossible for God to work through her. And she makes this very unwise and foolish move of, of letting Abraham have a second wife, which was very common culturally in those days. Uh, these men used, most of these men had many wives. She makes this accommodation. No sooner does Hagar become pregnant and Sarah realized she made this horrible mistake because now uh, that child or an heir is going to be a born that is now going to rival any future heir she may have. It's another part of the story. That here's this land of promise, but now there's, there's going to be introduced this rival who is going to try to claim the inheritance for themselves. Genesis 16, verse 10 through 12. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your uh, descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So here's a prophecy that comes to Hagar as she has this child Ishmael, who's now a child of Abraham. And he says that there's something about this, the character of this man Ishmael shall be called a wild man. He's going to be unruly. He is going to be someone who is difficult. Uh, and this has now been introduced to the mix. What started as a pristine promise, God saying to Abraham, he has a wife, Sarah, I'm gonna give you a child, I'm gonna give you land, they're going to inherit this land, blessing, protection and favor, wonderful. But now Abraham has had a child from another woman who is now going to be a wild man. He's going to be a great source of vexation and lay claim to their inheritance. Genesis 21, verse nine and 10.
And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be here, heir with my son, namely with Isaac. So there you go. So here's Abraham and Sarah. We know finally God works a miracle. Sarah is able to conceive a child. Isaac is born. But the problem is that uh, 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 Ishmael, who probably would be around 12 years old around the time, now you have Isaac born. And as Isaac is born, the Bible says that Ishmael begins to scoff, or literally word means persecute, Isaac, the heirs. You have the child of promise. You have the illegitimate child. And Sarah understands the issues. This is going to be a fight for this, for this land. The battle is now on. They're going to, he's going to lay claim and say, I want this land. And will become a persecutor. I want to tell you that Ishmael has been persecuting Isaac ever since. When we get into modern day Israel and the Zionist movement, and we, you'll, you'll understand that. When, when it, and I'll say this, 1948, when Israel became a nation, it was a nation of 3 million. It was surrounded by 50 million Arabs who went to war against them. Why? Because Ishmael persecutes Isaac. All of these dynamics start right here in the word of God. As a result of Abraham's impatience, you now have introduced this conflict in the land and over the heirs to that land. Okay, let me move along then, move through Isaac and Jacob, Joseph and Moses as we move through these men. And so uh, for time's sake, I don't have a whole lot uh, I can say about Isaac. I can cover his uh, 160 years or so in about 10 seconds here. But Isaac, to his credit, held on to the baton. He got married to a, a woman, uh, uh, Rebecca. They were married around 110 years. Hallelujah. And no excitement. He didn't have any second, third or fourth wives. Uh, this man had one wife all the way through. That's the most successful marriage in the Bible. Finally, after they were married 20 years, uh, uh, Rebecca was able to conceive and she had twins, Jacob and Esau. And once again, you begin to see as God follows his promise, but within that promise, there's always going to be branches that lead to a rivalry or a desire for the land and for the throne. Romans 9, 10 through 13. And not only this but when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even by her father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Okay, now I understand right now we could take a whole new freeway in another different direction about sovereignty and God's plan and human choice. I just want you to consider this, that when these twins were born, God had chosen the line to follow through, through Jacob and not Esau. Now, that was a sovereign choice. Book of Romans says very clearly it was a sovereign choice, but it was also a choice going out in human decision human, and say, what's the answer? Both are the answer. 
You know, if somebody said, when you walk into heaven on the front of the door, it's going to say, whoever will can't come. You step on, cross the line and turn around, it'll say called before the beginning of the foundation of the world. And so what I'm saying, what I, what, for our purposes in this Sunday school, that here's Abraham. You come down, there's Ishmael and Isaac. It's Isaac. You move through, uh, 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 Isaac has uh, uh, children, uh, and now it's Esau and Jacob, it's Jacob. And God is moving an inheritance, but along the way, you're leaving behind these people that are saying, hey, we want this land. We are heirs. We have something that uh, belongs uh, to us, and we want part of this inheritance. Genesis 46, 26. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's sons, wives, were 66 persons in all. So, so here's Jacob. The line follows Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons and a daughter. Those sons marry. More and more children are born uh, to Jacob. And so quickly remember the story. There they are. They're in the land and a terrible famine hits. They are, don't know what to do. Jacob has lost one of his sons. Joseph was killed by a wild animal, so to speak. And so he sends his son to Egypt to try to buy bread. And lo and behold, uh, there's their brother, uh, Joseph, uh, that they had sold into slavery, who is now the prime minister of Egypt, who has control over the wealth and the bread of Egypt. And he reunites with his brothers, forgives them, sends for his father. They're not going to survive at that moment in the land that God had promised them. And so God has made a way to spare them. And so the Bible says that Jacob and his family pack up their belongings in a U-Haul and they head to Egypt. And the Bible says it was 66 persons. But here we are from Abraham being told uh, uh, to get into the land I'll give you. I'm going to multiply you. You've gone from Abraham. I think he lived to be 180. Isaac lived to be uh, 150 or so, 160 and then Jacob. And so after all this time, there's 66 people in the family. Amen. I know some Mexican families that beat that, but uh, <laughs> there are 66 uh, people in this family. And now they had to live in Egypt uh, where they've got a relative that makes good money. And he's looking after them 400 years. They remain there, but the problem is uh, Joseph dies uh, and pretty soon the politics change. Uh, they fall from favor uh, and before long, uh, they become a persecuted minority and uh, hundreds of years go by and now they are oppressed, they're enslaved, they're impoverished, they're beat down. And then we are introduced uh, to uh, Moses, Exodus three, verse seven and eight. This is the burning bush. Um, um. Um, 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 and the Lord said, um, 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 and the Lord said, um, have I surely seen the oppression of my people? Um, 
And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their tax masters, for I have known their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from a land, up to a land from that, to a, uh, and bring them from that land to a good land, a large land to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the uh, Hivites and the Jebusites. So go back that, back up that panel a little bit. It says right here, I'm going to bring them from the land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So, so let's think about this. So, so the, here's Abraham. I'm going to give you this land. Three times I'm giving you this land. Abraham already has a sense that things are going to change. I better start getting some title deeds to this stuff. A couple generations later, his entire family at that point, 66 people go to Egypt. Over those 400 years there in Egypt, they have multiplied into many, many hundreds of thousands of people. And God says to Moses, what I've sent you to do, we, all, we understand he's delivering them from slavery and bondage and all of that. But specifically, he said to Moses, your job is to get them back to that land. That land matters. That land, and God says, your goal is to shepherd them back to the land. And so we know that Moses goes in, the plagues, uh, the humiliation of Egypt, uh, the Red Sea. They go into the wilderness for 40 years. But the objective was always the land. And Moses' ministry ends uh, right there on the plains on the eastern side of the Jordan River, where he delivers that final uh, uh, sermon called the Book of Deuteronomy. And then Moses goes up to the mountain, Mount Nebo, and dies. And they go across into the land because it's all about that land. That land is the issue. It is the title deed. God didn't change his mind. And everything that we read in Genesis and Exodus is, to, is all about coming in to that land. Then we move on to Joshua and the nation of Israel. Joshua 23, 13. Know for certain that God, your God, will not get rid of these nations for you. There'll be nothing but trouble to you, horse whips on your backs and sand in your eyes, until you're the ones who will be driven out of this good land that God, your God, has given you. You know, if you read the book of Joshua, it's very interesting. This is like Joshua's farewell sermon. We all know, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. But if you read the whole thing... He is, they, they had an objective. I want you to take the land. There are people living on that land. God says, I want you to dispossess them. And I want you to come into the land. But as you read through the book of Exodus, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the book of Joshua, you find that, that many times what happened is they wouldn't do that. They would never fully take possession of the land. They began to permit the people that were living there to continue to live there and pull back the panel, go back one. When he says, what's going to happen here? They're, he says, you know what? These nations that you don't deal with, they're going to become nothing but trouble to you. You're going to have problems. And so we're going all the way back to when Ishmael persecuted Isaac. Now how, we have fast forwarded hundreds and hundreds of years 
And Joshua, seeing that they are not taking the land, they are permitting these people in the land, he says, you're going to have trouble. There's going to be a rivalry. And that rivalry is going to be over that land. So if you were to remember, if you go through your Bible, you'll realize that this was a very, very common problem. And Israel's main menace, Israel's main rival, if you remember, were guess who? Anybody remember who the, their main uh, uh, problem people were in this early days establishing the, the kingdom there? Anybody want to say it out loud? Okay, no, we're not talking about the Amalekites today. There's somebody else. Anybody remember who, uh, who did Samson fight with and David fight with? Uh, the Philistines. The Philistines. They were the nemesis. The Philistines. Once they arrived in that land, their early conflicts were with the Philistines. And they fought, whether we're talking about Samson, remember the story of Eli, the ark was lost to the Philistines. Samuel, uh, uh, the Bible says the hand of the Lord is against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. David killed a giant named Goliath, who was the champion of the Philistines. These were people who occupied that land. And they were part of that land. And if you think about it, you'll find that there is a very much a similarity between today, what we call Palestinians and Philistines. And that is not accidental. Put that up, that uh, next uh, uh, little frame there. From Latin, Palestinia was the Roman province of Palestine. Ancient Greek, Palestine was translated Philistia and the surrounding region, Philistia, or the land of the Philistines. Palestinians, their name comes from the fact these were the people who were living on the land and Rome, when Rome came and took control of that part of the world, they named it Palestinia. And they named it that because that was the name of those people, Philistia, Philistines. And so to think that here we are looking at old stories in the Bible going all the way back to the book of Judges and this continual conflict that went on over and over again with the Philistines. And you find now as we're moved down the road, well over 3000 years. And here we are. Here we are today. It's the same conflict that's taking place. We're not going to have time to finish all of this today. Let me stop right here. I covered a lot very quickly. Anybody have anything right here? Anything that needs to be clarified or something that will help everybody understand? We're talking about uh, Joe and John. You can't get as far away as part as you can. Let's make sure. I ask you to be very brief. Very clearly, uh, Sarah's and Abraham's decision to send out Hagar and Ishmael into the desert resulted in what's happening today that is as clear as i can get they had he had 12 tribes ishmael did they had a father in abraham but the, they were the seed of the disobedient that was murder one they sent them out to die 
And uh, God appeared in the form of a man and said, uh, Hagar said, I see the God who sees me. Yeah. And called him El Roi. And they named the well there after yeah. that name. You know, and, the, and, and, and you know, if, if you are thinking about uh, Ishmael and you're thinking about uh, poor Esau, and uh, these guys that seem to be left uh, on the side of the road without the promise, uh, I got good news to you for you. And that is, that's why Jesus Christ came and died. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. Redemption and the gospel came to that part of the world to those people before it ever came over here. And so, you know, I, I know that people sometimes stumble over that reality, but the truth was that redemption for all mankind was going to come through this. John? I just remember in the 2016 Summer Olympics when uh, the Egyptian and the Israeli uh, fought in the judo class and the Israeli actually won the, the, the match, the Egyptian refused to shake his hand in good sportsmanship afterwards and was eventually condemned by the, uh, you know, the, the Olympic Committee for, for doing such things because the story I read was that the committee had told the Egyptian, look, you need to fight this fight according to the rules and you need to have good sportsmanship afterwards. And he didn't do that. And so they condemned him for it and sent him home from the Olympics. Yeah, uh, it's um, the, the, the uh, yeah, the issues are there. Um, and so, so we understand ourselves. Let me just get these two. This way we can uh, pick this up. The second Chronicles uh, 36, 19 and 20. I give that out? Yep. Okay. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah and the Passover was kept. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Nico, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Kerskemek by the Euphrates. Uh, that's chapter 36, verse 19 and 20. I'm sorry, 35. Uh, then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. Okay, so they, they uh, established a kingdom, David, Solomon, on we go, we move through. Uh, Solomon's uh, son, Rehoboam becomes king. He's a, there's all sorts of issues under the surface that come to rise under him. The kingdom split. Ten tribes go north, the northern kingdom called Israel proper, the southern kingdom, which would have been Judah and Benjamin, are called Judah. And so that's when you read through uh, from that point on after uh, chapter 12 of 1 Kings, and it goes into these two nations and follows them. First, Second Chronicles follows just the nation of Judah and the kings of Judah. And then finally, our text right here where the Bible says Babylon comes in and crushes Israel destroys the northern kingdom, comes into the southern kingdom and destroys uh, Jerusalem, takes uh, captive the young people, kill all the old people. The young people go, they, they, they take them to Babylon, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and all of them. They're there for 70 years. After 70 years, Ezra 1 verses 1 through 3. Now in the first year of King Cyrus, 
of Persia that the word of the Lord came by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea, who is among you all this people. May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Okay, so we're going to end right here. So it, the Bible says they go, they're gone 70 years. 70 years later, a new king comes to power in that region. It's now a Persian empire. When they went, it was Babylon, and then it went to the Medo, the Medes, and now it's the Persians. The king Cyrus immediately declares that uh, they're they, they going to be permitted, the Jews are going to be permitted to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And as they go back, they are back in their land. That's why you read over and over again, which is in Jerusalem. Land. All of this goes back to something God said to Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I'm giving you this land. Even this heathen king says, you get to go back to Jerusalem. You don't build that temple in Chicago. You're not building that temple in Ottawa. You are going back to the land. I gave you this land. And Ezra goes back 20 years later. Nehemiah goes and rebuilds, begins to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. But this is God's commitment to this land. And so when you look at this whole issue, Palestine and Israel, it is about the land. God gave them that land. They're on that land. We'll talk about uh, what happened in the time of Jesus. I'll have to pick this up next week and move into the modern day. But it's still about this land and the children of Hagar. Or I'm sorry, the children of Ishmael, the children of Esau are still there. The inhabitants of the land are still there and they're still fighting over this piece of property. Okay, that's as far as we can go today. We'll pick this up next week. Lord bless you.